Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. This week, we're still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Easter is not a one-week celebration. Easter is not a time of year that we set aside just to celebrate the resurrection. Easter, my friends, is what we do all day, every day, because that, my friends, changes you all day, every day. So today, we again are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you're not going to hear the same sermon you heard last week. I hope you're happy. Um, But we are still going to talk about the resurrection this week and again next week. You know why? Because Easter is not a one-week celebration. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to be in John chapter 21, the Gospel of John chapter 21. Before we get there, let me tell you what happened in John chapter 20. What you see in John chapter 20 is you see the resurrection of Jesus. You see an empty tomb. You see Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene and to the disciples. And then you have the story, the famous story of the apostle or the disciple Thomas um, going to Jesus with doubts, with maybe some confusion, with maybe some um, uncertainty of his resurrection. And of course, Jesus showed him his scars in his hands to confirm his resurrection. And then the end of John chapter 20 says this. This is verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, who were not, which were not recorded in this book. But these that are written are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we've talked about before how in the Gospel of John there are seven signs, what John calls them, or seven miracles, seven, seven signs of Jesus pointing to himself, saying, that's me. I'm the coming Messiah. I'm the chosen one. I'm the Son of God. And John says there, at the last verse of John chapter 20, says that all of these signs, all of these miracles, these things that you have read in the previous 20 chapters, all of those are pointing to Jesus being the Messiah, and so that you may believe in him and have life in him. Everybody follow? We good so far? All right. A couple of you look like you're cold. Anybody cold? Rose is bundled up like crazy over here. All right. Hang on. Talk amongst yourselves. I was getting ready to get my sweat rag out. All right. I bumped it up to 83. (laughs) We're going to get a suntan in here now. We're all going to walk out 10 pounds lighter than we did when we walked in. Amen? Yeah, boy, that ain't bad. That ain't bad. All right, so John finishes chapter 20 
saying that all these signs, everything that you just read in the previous 20 chapters, they all point to Jesus being the Messiah so that you may have life in him. Now, listen, we have any English people, English majors, English teachers with us? Anybody at all? I'm no literary major, okay? I'm not the best reader in the world. I'm not the best comprehender in the world. It takes me time to read. I have to read stuff over multiple times before I understand what it's trying to say. I have to take notes when I read stuff so that I can really think about what it's trying to say, all that good stuff. I'm no literary genius. But what I do know is that when you read the last verse, the last two verses in John chapter 20, which I just read to you, to me that seems like a really good place to sum up and to close off the Gospel of John. Right? John says, everything you've read, read here, the past 20 chapters, everything I've written, the seven signs, the seven miracles, the seven I am statements, everything is all so that you may believe in Jesus. But the Gospel of John doesn't stop in chapter 20, right? There's a chapter 21. So why would John write something else after he summed up his whole book? One of two reasons. One, he's not a literary genius either. He's much like me, and he's not the best writer. I'm not the best reader. Or, I think there's three reasons. Number one, what he writes next is really important. Kind of he saved the best for the end kind of deal. Like a good movie. There's something else coming that's really important. Number two, number two, he wrote John chapter 21 just in case you needed extra proof of the resurrection. Just in case you needed extra proof of the resurrection. There was people at this time that thought the resurrected Jesus, this Jesus that they saw, that they talked to, that was reported to be seen, that they ate with, they thought that resurrected Jesus was a ghost. They thought he was a spirit. They didn't think he was a real person that had died and resurrected from the dead. They thought the, um, the disciples were hallucinating. They thought they were so full of sorrow and mourning that they were hallucinating. And they really didn't see a real person of Jesus. So what you find in John chapter 21, and we're going to read it in just a minute or two, but just give you a little, little overview. What you find there is you see that Jesus is talking. You see that Jesus is listening. You see that Jesus built a fire. You see that Jesus ate fish. And you see that Jesus gave Peter a mission. Those are all things that you have to have a mind to do. Those are all things that a functional human body with a mind, with a heart, with a mouth, that a ghost or a spirit or a made-up being cannot do. Does that make sense? So John chapter 21 is there because it's really important. It's proof, further proof of a resurrected Jesus. And number three, and what we want to spend time on for a few minutes talking about this morning, it shows us what changes after the resurrection. It shows us what happens after the resurrection. It shows us what's happened in the life of Peter after the resurrection, and it gives us encouragement and instruction today of what the resurrection can change in your life today. How many of you know that before you met Christ, you were one way? After meeting Christ, your life changed dr dr dramatically. 
If it didn't, then we got some stuff to talk about. You realize every time in Scripture when someone meets Jesus, their lives change. The blind leave Jesus with sight. The deaf leave Jesus with hearing. The lost leave Jesus being found. The wanderer left Jesus with purpose. The sinner left Jesus as a saint. Every time in Scripture someone meets Jesus, someone encounters Jesus, their life completely, dramatically, drastically changes. The same is true for you and I. We talked about this last week. The proof of the resurrection is in our life, is in the way we live. It's the fact that before I met Jesus on May 28th, year 2000, I was this way. Now, on April the 16th, 2023, my life is completely different than it was then. Why? Not because I'm smarter. I'm a little older. Still look good. Not in as much shape. Don't have near as much hair. But Jesus. It's because of Jesus in me changed me. I love different now than I did then. I forgive now. I didn't forgive then. All because of the fact that I met Jesus on May 28th, year 2000, in Denton Westland Church, in the basement, in the office there in the basement, on my knees, praying that God would forgive me, confessing sin, putting faith in Christ, and new life found me that day. The same is true with the resurrection. Your life changes after the resurrection. And that, my friends, is what we're going to talk about this morning. Sound good? I hope so, because that's all I got. That's all I got. All right, let's read John chapter 21. We're going to read the first 17 verses says this. Y'all, I'm not sure about this thing. Where's that wire? Okay, here we go. John chapter 21, here we go. Afterward, this was after, of course, after John finished up his book, he says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples who were together, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Fellas, any of you like to fish? It's biblical. Simon said, I'm going fishing. Keep reading. Keep reading. Simon said, I'm going out to fish. We'll go with you, they said. <laughs> so they all went out, got in the boat, uh, but that night they caught nothing. Boys, you ever go fishing and don't catch anything? It's biblical. It's biblical. Keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard them say that, as soon as they heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Keep reading, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus again said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So there is a conversation that we see with Jesus and Peter following his resurrection. What's the point of those verses? Here's the point. The resurrection changes you. It changes three things about you. Number one, it changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see yourself. What we have here in Peter is a fisherman. He was a fisherman before he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, do you remember what Jesus told him? He said, you will no longer be a fisherman, but you will be a fisher of man. You will fish for people. You will bring people into me. Peter was a fisherman for fish. Jesus saw him as a fisherman of people. Peter didn't realize what was going on. He didn't understand what was happening. He didn't understand what Jesus himself was calling him to do. What he knew, though, is that the resurrected Jesus Christ is calling me to something different. When, you, or when the resurrection has the power and the ability to change the way you see yourself. Peter had to change his view, his perspective, his thoughts on himself. No longer was he a fisherman just out having a good time in a boat with his buddies. Jesus, he didn't realize that at the time, and he wouldn't realize it until Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit come down, but Jesus was getting ready to use him for the largest evangelism hit in the world had seen at that time. He was going to become a fisher of people. So how did Peter go from being a fisher of fish to a fisher of people? The resurrection. Jesus made him a fisher of people, not just a fisher of fish. I hope you know this morning, I hope you know this morning, there are two people, two beings, telling you who you are. One is the Lord, and the other one is the enemy. 
We've talked about our identity a lot over the past couple of years. And the reason we've talked about it a lot is because your identity is so important. The reason that it's important is because your identity determines your actions. Your identity determines your lifestyle. It's who you are. It's how you see yourself. It's who God has called you to be. Who you are on the inside determines your actions on the outside. Right? Let me explain. I love because I've been loved. Does that make sense? The Bible teaches that we forgive because we've been forgiven. I serve because I've been served. I give because I was giving to. You realize today the whole Christian life is one big response of everything that God has done for you. Right? Okay. Let me come over here. See how y'all feel about this. See what y'all think. The whole Christian life is a response. We love because the word says he loved us what? First. We can't love first. We can only love after we've been loved. We can only forgive after we've been forgiven. We can only give after we've been given to. We can only serve after we've been served to. The whole Christian life is a response to what God has done for us. We worship, why? Because he's worthy. We tithe, why? Because he first gave to us. We forgive others because we forgave us. Everything in the Christian life is a response to what God first did for us. That, my friends, is your identity. That's why we are who he says that we are, and we do what we do because of who we are on the inside. We don't do what we do to make us who we are. We do what we do because of who we are. Everybody follow? You may look at my beautiful and lovely and gorgeous and talented wife and say, she's a teacher, and she is a teacher. She's the best teacher ever, the absolute best. She needs a raise, first of all. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. But she does not do what she do and become a teacher she was a teacher at heart, so because of her heart, now she does what she does. Does that make sense? Our identity is found in Jesus. Our identity is a simply a response to all that God has done for us. That's why, my friends, it's so important that we are listening to who the Lord says that we are. Because the enemy will tell you things like, you're not good enough. You're cursed. You're a terrible parent. You're a horrible friend. You're an even worse husband. Worst spouse in the world. You're not loved. You're alone. You're forgotten about. You're certainly not forgiven. You're not taken care of. You're by yourself. Meanwhile, you read through Scripture and you read through the book of Ephesians, you see a lot of things in Ephesians where it says, in Christ I am blank. What you see there is you see things like we are victorious in Christ. The Lord says you're victorious. The enemy tells you you're defeated. You've got no chance. The Lord says you're victorious. We also read in Ephesians that we are blessed in Christ. 
we read in Ephesians that we are one in Christ. So that means you're never alone. You have people with you in life. You're not going through life alone, isolated. You have people with you to go through struggles and to celebrate victories with you. Speaking of victories, Ephesians tells us that we are victorious in Christ. We have victory in Jesus today all because of the resurrection of Jesus. The Word says that we are loved in Christ, that we are blessed in Christ. All of that is found only in Christ, and that, my friends, is who the Lord says that you are. You are not who the enemy says you are. Don't believe the lie. You believe the Word. The word says that God made you. God formed you together in your mother's womb. God knew you before you took your first breath of earth, of earth, before you took your first breath of air on this earth. God knew you, knew, y'all, I can't talk this morning. God knew you. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah says that before you were born, God knew everything about you, which means this, before you had a chance to do anything really good, God knew you. Before you had a chance to do anything really bad, God knew you. God made you. God formed you. He tells us who we are. We're not listening to someone who did not make us tell me who I am. I'm not much of a baker, but if I were to make a cake and bring it in here, if I made the cake, I put the eggs in, I put the flour in, I mixed it up. What else do you put in a cake, Kelly? Sugar. Cake mix. Don't you have to have cake mix? Put the cake mix in. You don't have cake mix no more? It's not a thing? It's a thing. I see it in the stores all the time. It's a thing. I make the cake. Say I make a white cake. The cake's white. But I put chocolate icing on it. Best ever. I love it. My mama makes the best. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. I make a chocolate cake. I bring it in here. Say Judy looks at that cake and says, that's a vanilla cake. I said, no, Judy, that's chocolate. She said, no, 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 that's vanilla. I said, Judy, that's a chocolate cake. Who has the right to tell what the cake is? The person who made the cake or the person who's looking at the cake? The person who made the cake. God made you. You believe who he says you are not who the world or the enemy says you are. The resurrection can change the way you look at yourself. No longer did Peter see himself as a fisher of fish, but he found himself a couple of weeks later as a fisher of people. The second thing that changes because of the resurrection is the way we see God himself. It changes the way we see ourselves, and it changes the way we see God himself. I'm not real sure at this point how Peter saw Jesus. I can tell you how I would think if I was in Peter's position. I'd be a little nervous. Right? Why? Because a week earlier, I just denied this guy three times. I just claimed I didn't know this guy one week ago. And now here he is, was dead, now alive, sitting here on the beach, cooking fish on the open fire, I would be thinking, oh man. Now Jesus could have 
told Peter, you didn't make the cut, son. Jesus could have said, you're not good enough. Jesus could have said, you tried. You did your best. Jesus could have banished Peter, could have pushed Peter away and let Peter go do and live his life all he wanted to do for the rest of his years on earth. But that's not what happened, is it? What we see is that Peter denied Jesus three times a week earlier, and we read here in this scripture that Peter confessed his love for Jesus three times. In both instances, week before and here now, Jesus loved Peter all the more. So what, was it, what does the resurrection tell us about God? It tells us that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, that we are found in God's love. Whether you're denying or confessing, God loves you. Whether you're living good or living bad, God loves you. Whether you're making right decisions or wrong decisions, God loves you. That does not change the way God feels about you. There are two types, two words of love that Jesus uses here when he's talking to Peter. The first time he said, Simon Peter, do you love me? He uses the word filio. Everybody say filio. Filio means brotherly love. It's where we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Filio means brotherly love. It's the way I love Ken. It's the way I love Susie and Hubbard. I love Hubbard a lot. I'm just, my man. Y'all, if it wouldn't have been for Hubbard, we wouldn't have had any donuts this morning. That's all I'm saying. Everybody say thanks. <laughs> it's a brotherly love. It's a love that gives. It's a love that serves. It's a love that helps out in a brotherly fashion. It's a love that loves people that's our family, that's our friends, that's a brotherly love. Peter, or Jesus asked Peter, said, do you filio me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter says what? You know I do, Lord. And then Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. And then the second time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses a different word for love. He uses the word agape. Everybody say agape. Agape love. What is agape love? Agape love is a love that gives, serves, helps out a brother and an enemy. You see the difference? It's a love that gives, serves, helps the brother and the enemy. So when Jesus asked Peter, said, do you agape me? Peter didn't know agape. His response was, Lord, you know I love you. And he used the word filio. You know I brotherly love you. Why did he not say agape? I'll tell you why. He didn't know anything about agape. Agape had never been seen or experienced before until the resurrection. There was no ultimate act of love for the friend and the enemy until the resurrection. 
Agape was a new word. It was a new type of love that these people knew nothing about. Agape can only be done in Christ because agape is Christ. You cannot love to the highest level apart from Jesus because he is agape. So when we read in John 3.16 that God so loved, that God agaped the world, that whosoever believe will not die but have everlasting life, that, my friends, is for the friend and the enemy. That's for the Jew and the Gentile. That's for the black, white, and brown. That's for the male and female. That is for everyone under the sun. God loves you. Amazing, isn't it? The resurrection. The resurrection is proof of God's agape love. And he did it for you. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. You may find yourself like Peter, a little worried, maybe not having a clear view of Jesus, maybe not having a full understanding of Jesus as God, maybe not having a full understanding of who Jesus is and what he can do for you, maybe being a little doubtful, a little worried, a little fearful, a little filled with anxiety because of what you're facing today. So let me give you a brief description of who God is according to Scripture this morning. God of heaven, the God of scripture, is a God that shuts the mouths of lions trying to tear your life apart. God is a God that tears down giants. God is a God that forgives and loves and heals. God is a God that gives second chances, third chances, and fourth chances. God of scripture is a God that gave up his life for you. The God of Scripture is a God that agapes you, that loves you deeply to the highest point possible because you, my friends, are made in His image. God is a God that protects, heals, leads, and guides. God is a God that never leaves or changes. God is a God that is with you in the valley and on the mountaintop. The scripture that God, the God of scripture is simply a God that loves you, no matter what. Amen. Amen. God loves you. And the proof of that is in the resurrection. The proof of the agape love is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, we can have a clear view. We can have a clear understanding of who God is and what he has done for us. Number three, the third thing that we see that the resurrection changes, it changes the way we view ourselves, the way we view God, and finally it changes the way we see other people. The way we see other people. Jesus calls Peter to feed the lambs, take care of the sheep, and to feed the sheep. Feed the lambs, take care of the sheep, and feed the sheep. Jesus knew that this whole Christian movement, this whole Christ-like movement that was coming, there's going to be people. There's going to be a lot of people, and they need help. They need a leader. They need someone to love. They need someone to preach. They need someone to serve. 
They need someone to give. And here, Jesus calls Peter to be that guy. And my friends, he's calling you to do the exact same thing today. There are people in your life today that don't know the Lord. My question is, what are we doing about it? Statistics say that every second, two people die. Every second, two people die somewhere in the world. Every eye you look into when you walk out of this building, every eye you look into in this building, every eye that you look into at your job or at the store tomorrow will one day spend eternity somewhere, either with the Lord or in anguish without. My question is, what are we doing about it? Every second, two people die somewhere in the world. Every second. You guys keeping up? There's a world perishing away from Jesus. And we're having conversations about a basketball game. There's people today that will not be here tomorrow, will spend eternity away from the Lord, and all we can talk about is the rain. Every second, two people die. My question for you this morning is do we care? And if we do, what are we doing about it? Jesus told Peter, feed the sheep. Take care of the sheep. Feed the lambs. Take care of my people. Love my people. Share with my people. Preach to my people. Lead them to me. That same call, that same goal is on your life and mine today. Can I encourage you today to share the love of the Lord like you never have before. Can I encourage you today to tell people about Jesus like you never have before? To tell people what the Lord can do for them. To tell them how the Lord has changed your life. To let them know how good and great and gracious God is. And I encourage you today to spend time praying for them. I hope you know this morning that without the power of the Lord, <laughs> we're no good. <laughs> we can share all we want to. Without the Lord's help, it don't matter. That's why we've got to spend time praying that God would reveal himself to them. God would uncover the, their hearts, would take away the cover, would take away the mask, would take away whatever is hindering people from seeing God for who He is and what He can do for them. There are people today that will close their eyes tonight and tomorrow wake up in eternity without Jesus.
do we care? And if we do care, then what are we doing about it? Some time ago, I shared with you guys one of my biggest fears, probably the biggest fear, other than snakes. I don't mess with snakes, y'all. I tell TJ I'm not afraid of snakes. I tell TJ I'm not afraid of nothing. But I'm a little nervous around snakes. And flying. I'm not a big fan of being in a plane either, okay? Let me just say. Those things are called death tubes for a reason. Because once you're in there, you can't get out until they open the door and it lands. And once you're in there, you've got no control over nothing. Right? Okay. Get back to the serious stuff. One of my biggest fears. I'll close with this. We'll be done after this. One of my biggest fears in life is on Judgment Day. I don't know how Judgment Day is going to work. I don't know if we're going to be lined up in alphabetical order. I don't know if we're going to be lined up by height. Um, I don't know if we're going to be lined up by age. I don't know. Um, But what I do know is this, is that one day I, much like you, will stand in front of the Father. And a whole reel will be played of my life. Every thought, decision, action, word will be played out. And the word says that we have to give an account. We have to explain why we did what we did, why we said what we did. And the word also says that those that are in Christ, Jesus will stand up. Jesus is the judge. He's the one that does all the judging. Jesus will stand up and say, he's mine. My blood's on him. My blood covers his life. He's with me. Can I tell you what my biggest fear is on that day? Is that while I'm in line, I'll see one of my buddies. I'll see one of the people I see at the restaurant. I'll see somebody I played ball with at the gym who don't know the Lord. My biggest fear is they'll look at me and say, did you know this? And I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, why didn't you tell me? We talked about the, the Tar Heels. We talked about the kids. We talked about the weather. We talked about our jobs. We complained about the bosses. We talked about the president. We talked about the restaurant. We sent text messages back and forth five, six times a week. And you never told me about this. You get why that's one of my biggest fears in life? Every second, two people die. Do you care? And if you do care, then what are you doing about it? The resurrection changes the way we see other people. The resurrection leads us to be the type of believer, the type of disciple in Christ that loves people, that shares with people, with our words, with our actions, and through prayer. Why is Easter the best holiday, the best time of the year? Because it changes you, it changes the way you see God, changes the way you see yourself, and it leads us to change the way we see other people. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, again, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, again, like last week, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for sending your son to live, to die, and to live again for us. God, I pray today for myself, for my friends and family that are here, and for the ones that aren't here. Lord, I pray today that the resurrection, the power of the resurrection will change our life. God, for those of us who struggle loving ourselves, for those of us who struggle accepting who you say that we are, for those of us who listen to the world and listen to the enemy and believe their words that they say about us, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will find our identity, we will find who we are, we will put our faith and our trust in your word and in who, in, in who you say that we are. God, help us to know the day that we are forgiven, that we can find hope, that we find victory, that we're blessed in you. God, I pray today for those of us that don't have a clear understanding of who you are and what you can do for us. God, I pray with the power of the resurrection that we will have a faith and a knowledge of who you are. We will know that you are God, that you're the God of the universe, that you're the creator and sustainer of life, and you are the God that is more than enough, that is big enough, that loves enough to take care of us and you are a God that forgives and sets free and breaks addiction and breaks chains and makes new dead people alive and old people new today and God finally I pray that we would be the type of believer we would be the type of follower that loves people around us, that gives to people around us, shares and serves with people around us, and share your love with them. God, I pray today that you will break our hearts for people, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors who don't know you. And God, I pray today that you will open up a door. I pray today that you will open up a way. You will start a conversation. God, I pray that you would cause a meeting, an encounter with people today so that we can share your love. We can share your agape love, the highest order of love, the love that laid down his life for the friend and the enemy. God, again, we thank you for the resurrection. God, it is the best. Thank you so much. And thank you for what it does for us and how it changes us today. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.